welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Joe, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me and, and letting me rhyme, apparently, right in the beginning. How are you today? Yuri, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I was hoping I would get that great laugh out of the way early. I love it. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it is, uh, it's not difficult to make me start laughing at all kinds of things. So uh, hopefully you're prepared <laughs> for it to happen again and again. Yeah, uh, I've, been, I've been listening to your episodes, and, and you're not afraid to laugh and be in the moment. So you're exactly my kind of podcast host. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Perfect. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. So I would like to start off with the my usual question for guests, and that is, how do you describe yourself and what you do? Great question, obviously. And I'm a, I'm a teacher, um, but I try to be intentionally different than other teachers. I always think back to every time you're at a dinner party or you know, you're with friends and they say, what do you do? And you say, oh, I'm a teacher. Oh my God, that's so hard. What grade do you teach? Mm-hmm. And there's that awesome moment where I already know that no matter what grade I say, they're going to say, well, that must be hard. So if I tell the truth, which is 12th grade and public speaking and creative writing, uh, they're like, oh my God, how do you deal with the seniors? If I lie, oh, first grade, oh my God, how do you do that? Those kids are running around like crazy. What they really want to say, I found over the years, is how and why did you become a teacher? Mm-hmm. So what I try to do intentionally, and I've been doing it now for maybe the last 10 of my last, of my 19 years, is just try to challenge conventional wisdom in the classroom and through the educational process. It would be very, I don't know, a feat, uh, too, too snobbish to say I'm a learner and not a teacher. So I didn't want to say that to you. But the reality is I try to be the best learner in the room, mm-hmm. and I try to model for my students – that I'm learning. And a big, big part of that has been pushing myself outside the classroom. Hmm. You know, a very basic thing that people can do in the classroom is write with their students, write the piece of writing you're assigning to them. And then when we transition to interviewing people and podcasting and being on great shows like yours, it's difficult for the student to then not respect you because you're doing the work. Mm -hmm. You know what it's like on the journey. So I'm a learner, lifelong learner. You heard that cliche a million times, but I just find that the curiosity that I follow if I can transfer it to my students in one arena of my life and then on the podcast in another, and then that's led to some speaking opportunities, it just it fills my soul in kind of all the right buckets. And then all of a sudden I feel like one thing feeds the other. So mm-hmm. that's about as concise as I can make it. But I'm kind of I'm, I'm, I'm on fire on a, on a regular basis in terms of learning. Yeah, well, that's great. How has the teaching classroom changed over the years since you first started do you mean specifically my classroom or what i've observed in all classrooms a a combination of both like yours specifically but also just you know since you've been doing it uh 18 years now yeah this is year 19 sure so yeah so how has it changed when you first started to what it is now and and what are you noticing with the the students and just the environment in general yeah if i could thread the needle between both of them what i would say is that our teenagers today Mm -hmm really, really want to know why they're doing something. You know, it is not uh, abnormal at all for people like you and me to talk and say, 
yeah, we, we, our teachers used to say, because I said so. Mm-hmm. My mom and dad used to say, because I'm the mother or I'm the father. Right. If you try that in today's classroom, it is an absolute death wish. They, they want no part of you. I mean, we always used to say, you know, adults had to, uh, they were given respect. It was just granted. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't work that way, in my opinion, anymore. It's, it needs to be earned. So right away, I get ahead of it. Uh, and this is something that's come in the last 10 years. You get ahead of it and tell them on every single activity, you give them the why. You know, you think about Simon Siddick and the corporate world starting with why. Mm-hmm. In the classroom, it works just as well, if not better, because you have a 17-year-old kid who's having a hard time figuring out why you're going to be needing Shakespeare in the marketing field, phys ed field, nursing field. So if that's the path you want to go with curriculum, I, I found you, you darn well better be sure that you know why you're doing it, not because the state said so, although that would happen once in a while. Yeah. That can't be the majority of it. So that's the overwhelming thing I've seen. And and a lot of it comes down to leadership, having a principal and a superintendent that that says yes to my crazy ideas it really supports my autonomy in the classroom. So then when I try things that are abnormal and you get a yes and it has a purpose, I find that it just continues to kind of push that flywheel. So that's the way that I would answer that question in terms of what's changed. The kids haven't changed. We've all heard the the, the quote from Socrates, how he was criticizing teenagers centuries ago. It's not – they haven't changed that much. We have the digital devices, which is a conversation for another day. Mm-hmm. But the reality is – I, I think the best teachers are the ones who have changed, and they realize that kids really want to know why. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fascinating. Um, I, and I also remember that as a, as a kid growing up and having my parents, when I say why, them them responding with because I said so, just go do it. Um, so that's, that's yeah. There's no there's no quicker way to to burn trust, right, than yeah. to say that. Yeah. Um, and and you strike me in, in kind of diving into your work. As an ideation guy, a guy that's constantly following ideas and passions and imagine, I, I imagine you, if I may, in the classroom, teacher throws an archaic assignment at you that you just know it will never, ever appear again in the natural world. It's so difficult to be motivated, no matter how, how curious you are, when you can't link it to something that's actually going to pay a dividend for you. Mm-hmm. It, it's tricky. It really is. Yeah. Well, so I also remember because I, I used to be a professor at a couple of different universities and I would purposefully give my students assignments that didn't seem like there was an obvious reason at the moment and then try to connect the dots for them in like in a couple of weeks uh, to keep them on task. And okay. it, it worked a little bit in the beginning. Uh, but when I did it a couple like when I first started uh, teaching, I think this was like. 2011 um and but and maybe it also was just because the the subject matter too because early on i was teaching theater and then later on i was teaching um entrepreneurship and a few other things but um for the theater students anyway in the beginning when i gave them assignments that didn't seem like there was an obvious connection and then connected the dots for them later like they're they loved it and they wanted more of kind of exciting things that made them think outside of yes. the, the classroom type of thing. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of it just it was a, a delicate balance, I guess, from what I yeah. noticed before. And just just to kind of put punctuation on that, that doesn't surprise me at all, because you're getting a kid that's in the theater program for the experience. Yeah, they want to be taken on a journey. They want to be present. So as long as they trust you, which they obviously did, they're going to be much more apt to say, hey, professor is going to take us to a good place. Let's see where this is. Yeah, exactly. So why? Why did you want to be a teacher in the subject matter that you are? 
uh, limited skill in other places. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you think about it, right? I mean, yeah. I, I look back to college and I think about it like I want, I majored in literature communications and then quickly I realized that I could skew more towards communications and get the same degree. Mm-hmm. I wasn't the biggest reader back then. I've since become a voracious reader, but at that time, we, you know, college kids don't have as much free time as, as it was told we were going to right. and you're not reading for pleasure. So you really have very little chance to become a reader at that point until later. Um, and then I took, honestly, like four or five classes uh, in education as a minor. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, um, they're like, all right, you're going to student teach. And I'm saying, oh, this is where you actually learn the craft. I student taught in the fall of my, my senior year. And it wasn't until the first day. Sometimes people say, when did you know you want to be a teacher? And I'll say, uh, September 4th, 1999. And they're always blown away. And I'm like, well, that was the first day of school when I student taught with my mentor. And he showed me that by presenting to these students time and time again, you get to form relationships. Now, you don't know that right away. You're, you're kind of thinking, I'm a content teacher. Um, but it ultimately, I guess the answer to your question that's a little more elegant would be, it's the only subject where I know for sure you get to know the students on a more personal level, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. Because the, the skills that you're teaching, reading, writing, listening, and speaking – they transfer over so many fields. So a kid in my public speaking class is sharing about his or her life, not necessarily a piece of content. So we just did Ignite Talks in my classroom, um, and they get to talk about whatever they want. So I have one kid talking about ADHD, and she reveals that she has ADHD mm-hmm. during the talk. She's, a, she's not afraid to be that vulnerable in the classroom. And I've recently had some guests come in the classroom and remark that if they were going to describe the, play, the, the classroom in one word – I was honored that they chose safe, and I keep getting this feedback this year that the classroom is a safe place to be yourself, and after 19 years there, if I can create a safe place for 17- and 18-year-old kids to express themselves and move forward, it's just the kind of career that it's difficult for me to get burnt out on because that's a thing that is filling, and it just continues to kind of spiral down in a good way. Yeah. So I would imagine in this type of environment or actually just in general, the idea of, well, so people find oftentimes public speaking to be terrifying. How do you help your students or even yourself get get past the idea of fear um, and have the confidence to not only speak in front of other people, but also like re- reveal personal things about themselves um, in a classroom setting like that? Yeah, there's there's a lot of layers to this question. I'll, I'll answer it in a couple of ways. I, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that if you're a practitioner of that which you teach, it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Recent, recently, I was honored to go and speak at a, at a major corporate event. They actually, uh, they, I was thrilled when they invited me to go speak at one of their retreats. So they had a two-day retreat. And uh, I didn't realize it until halfway through, but I was the keynote speaker. You know, when you don't do a lot of keynote, <laughs> you're like, wait, I'm the guy? And they're Surprise. like, yeah, 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 you're you're the keynote. Like, there's no one else. You're the guy. And, uh, you know, you get that imposter syndrome kicks in a little bit. And you're like, these people are paying me to speak and I want to do a great job. So I'm in the hotel the night before mm-hmm. and um, I'm studying my notes and I'm getting prepared. I want to be totally prepared. Wake up every hour on the hour, nervous for the speech. The morning of the speech um, I don't know how, how I could put this, but nausea was in play, right? Mm. I, I felt myself almost to the point of, of, of uh, nausea. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't believe how nervous I was. Here I am, 40 years old, teaching my students every day that you got to face your fears, you got to do this. And I'm saying, I don't know if I can do this. I'm, I'm having that actual reaction. And this is recent, Yuri. So 
I'm saying to myself, okay, everyone's told me that this means you're excited. Mm-hmm. This means that that you're in your 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 compass is pointing towards fear. You're doing the right thing, and you're going to get through this. So now I have that story in my reservoir. I go to the event. It exceeds my expectations. The feedback on the talk exceeded their expectations. I was truly flattered to hear how well it went. I knew it was going well while it was happening. But five hours earlier, I was at the point where everybody else reads about in the movies, right? You're just Mm -hmm. so nervous you don't think you're going to make it. reason I share that story is because I keep getting told that it doesn't go away. You know, I might never be that severely nervous again. Mm -hmm. But the reality is now I have that story to go back to my students now I have that story to share on my podcast. Mm-hmm. Now I have that story to share with your listeners. Just because you have a podcast, you sit in front of a mic, and you do it every day in the classroom, doesn't mean when you're faced with a new environment, it's going to go smoothly before the event. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was that nervous during the event, that may be a telltale sign I'm in the wrong field. But during the event, didn't feel any of it. That's to say, now I go back to my students and say, look, this is going to happen as you change environments. But you need reps. You need reps and you need feedback. In the classroom, we break it up to minors and majors. So we try to have them speaking every day on a minor level. I mean, it literally could be what's your favorite book or what's the favorite thing for you to put on a hot dog. Just get them up there for five minutes unprepared. Then every two weeks or so, we'll do a major speech or every three or four weeks um, where they now have to do a how-to speech, a demonstration, or a persuasive speech. So what I have found, and I, I would love to see this in other other classrooms, Because the feedback loop is so immediate, Mm -hmm. the student knows while they're giving the speech how they're doing. And then right afterwards, we give them feedback in front of the class. And as long as I've done the hard work of making it a trusting and safe environment, they're going to get so many quick feedback loops that you can't help but grow. Mm -hmm. There are so few things in our life. Think about it. You and I do podcasts. If you get a letter from a fan, you're thrilled. Like this, It means so much. But you don't, unless it's different than my podcast, you don't get a letter after every episode. So now you're saying, wow, imagine getting 20 letters after every podcast about how that show was and how you can improve. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening in the classroom when I do it right. Yeah. Um, so, no, I do not often get uh, feedback or, or letters. But when I do, it is it is very meaningful because um, uh, I always love hearing from, from people, um, even just ones who hear just like stumbled across the podcast on a, in a random episode about how much they loved or didn't like a topic. Um, I've gotten both of those in your experience. Then what has been the best way to teach your students how to present, um, positive, not positive feedback, but constructive feedback, because oftentimes, and I get this now from originally being in the arts and then now being in the corporate environment, Everybody has their own idea of how to give feedback, and, and oftentimes it's not yeah. cons- constructive. Um, so how do you approach feedback and, and b- the, the best practices for that? Yeah, I, and I have a good answer for this because on episode 19 of my podcast, I had Sheila Heen on. She wrote a book called Difficult Conversations, mm-hmm. and uh, we, we only talked about that book, which is just a must-read for people in relationships and in all kinds of different walks of life. But the other book that I'm dying to have her back on for is something I read called Thanks for the Feedback. Uh, Heen and Douglas Stone wrote it, and I basically completely took the model that she uses in that book and just shoehorned it right into my classroom. And the shortest way to say it is it's an ACE model, A-C-E. It's uh, appreciation, mm-hmm. coaching, and evaluation. 
And what we do is I have a poster in my classroom of it, and I actually give Sheila and Douglas credit. And after every single speech, kids take two minutes to write down their feedback. They can take notes during the speech. But when it's over, we will then go A and C, and the E is up to me. So I'm not having students grade each other. Okay. You know, frankly, very few things in life ever improved by grading, right? <laughs> right. Like, when's the last time, like, if I gave your podcast, like, an 89 out of 100, it made your podcast better? Like, it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's, <laughs> right. Oh, you know what? Now it's a 91, Yuri. We're lost. We have no <laughs> idea what that means. However, if I say I love how you're totally present for the for the guest and you know you're not afraid to laugh at yourself when you when you put your foot in your mouth like me, mm-hmm. these are appreciation moments. So at first it's rocky because it seems so uh, inauthentic. Kids want to just give right to the coaching, but it starts with genuine compliments, not allowed to say something you don't mean. Okay. And then eventually they just seamlessly work in the coaching. It'll say, "Oh, I mean, I love how you were so vulnerable today. You've come such a long way in this class." Um, it's, it's amazing to see the first speech. I remember you, you know, just couldn't even talk without dry mouth. And now you're just moving around the room so comfortably. The one thing I'd like to see you do though, is would it be possible to have a slide that has fewer words on it? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many words in that slide. And what is the person going to say at that point? That's not fair. That's not fair. They, they take it so well because you've given genuine appreciation and you've given coaching. Now there's one other layer and this is a little easier for adults, is the adult can then say, what I, I, I just said this the other day to a colleague. Um, they said, could you give me feedbacks on my present, feedback on my presentation? I said, sure. What kind of feedback would you like? Mm-hmm. And by hanging that back to her court, she was then able to say, well, actually, I want to see if the slides have an impact. Now, mm-hmm. I can focus. Instead of giving her something she's not even interested in, right. uh, I can focus the feedback. But but if you do the, the Sheila Heen ACE method, it really, really works well, and I, I find that they don't even care about the E. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it takes the stigma off of the E. Instead of waiting and waiting and waiting, did I get a 94? Did I get a 96? They're really interested in, hey, what'd you love about it, and what can I do to move it from good to great? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I, I actually, I need to investigate more into that because um, in the corporate world, I'm so used to the the standard. Oh, it's called like the feedback sandwich or something like that. Yeah. Where yeah. where it's like clockwork. Anytime a, a manager or remember my boss will kind of give me a, a critique, it, I can I can like time it. It'll be like <laughs> you did this right, and then then will come the you know the well maybe do this, and then swing it around to like but you also did this right, and I was like okay, thanks. That's I not really helpful. wish I really wish that I could give the the proper credit, but recently um, I heard someone say, "Who wants to eat a crap sandwich?" <laughs> Like nobody wants to eat it, so yeah. so why would we use it? Um, and then just really quickly on this point, um, if you start with the bad news and end with the good news, mm-hmm. it's actually more effective than the reverse, right? We've always been taught to do the other way. Yeah. But the, the difference here is we're not giving harsh criticism. We're saying how do we move it from good to great? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that idea better. So when was it that you decided to start a podcast? It's interesting. A friend of mine, Kevin Wilson, is a, a professional in Major League Baseball hitting coach, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just one of the best in his field. And I, I played high school baseball with him. So as he was moving his business forward and I was just kind of moving along in coaching and in the classroom, he said he was thinking about trying to kind of do some marketing and doing some publicity for his business. And I had asked him uh, how he had what he had in mind. He said, well, I'd love to do some kind of show. I said, do you know about Google Classroom? He didn't uh, Google Hangouts. He didn't even know about that. 
So we did some Google Hangouts, and thankfully they've been deleted from the Internet. Uh, they were absolutely atrocious, but basically we would go back and forth talking about how to help people be better at hitting. Mm-hmm. Eventually I said to him, do you, do you know about podcasts, which seems laughable. He didn't. He's so single-minded and in the baseball field, he's always meeting with clients. So we tried to do a few episodes. They were terrible. Then we got the hang of it. Uh, eventually after, you know, l- let's face it, after reps, mm-hmm. and I helped him launch his podcast. It's called KWB Radio um, for Kevin Wilson Baseball, and we've had 55 episodes of that epi- of that podcast. Now, since I launched my own, he's taken on the brunt of that work. But okay. for a long time, I was interviewing baseball players, managers, Hall of Famers, all-stars through that podcast. So mm-hmm. I don't tell Kevin this, but I was getting my reps in a field I knew really well baseball i grew up playing baseball Mm -hmm. making mistakes on his show on his dime on his logo (laughs) and then eventually i didn't know he had a sinister plan where he said you know when are you going to launch your own and i was kind of looking for the blessing from the godfather secretly right like yeah he he said that i said wait really now meanwhile i've been thinking about launching my own for a long time but i wanted to make sure i wasn't hurting feelings i mean he gave he gave me my start in podcasting and he says joe you're not just interested in baseball you're interested in food you're interested in communications. You're interested in conflict resolution. You're interested in public speaking. You're not going to be satisfied by just interviewing baseball players. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, you've heard that expression, to be unclear is to be unkind. Well, he, he, he made it so kind. He said, you got to do your own. So he then began pushing me out of the nest mm-hmm. to do my own. And actually, the story about launching it is actually a pretty good one for people that are listening because he always says, Kevin, that's the start that stops most people. You know, it's the start that stops most people. And we had decided on air that I was going to launch on July 1st of last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now it's June 28th and I have absolutely no podcasts. Um, um, I had recorded a couple of practice interviews. And uh, so he comes over to my t- my dinner table and he says, so how's it going for July 1st? I said, yeah, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I go, he goes, well, July 1st is what you announced. And I said, yeah, but I'm not ready for, for July 1st. He goes, nobody's ready. Nobody's ever been ready. You have to launch July 1st. I said, yeah, it's not going to happen. I appreciate your encouragement. He goes, all right, well, let's pour a drink and um, figure out how you're going to get this going July 1st. <laughs> I said, I don't think you heard me. I don't have a website. I don't have – I don't even know how to host the podcast. You did all that work. He goes, July, July 1st sounds pretty good. And he was <laughs> so annoying, Yuri. He was so annoying about it. Pours the drink, puts the ice in. Let's figure this out. And at one point, I gave him, I don't know how to host it. I don't know how to get on iTunes. I don't know how to upload my logo. Mm-hmm. All what I thought were legitimate fears that easily could have just sidetracked the whole thing. And here's my recollection. He goes, well, I got to get going. I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast on July 1st. <laughs> and I was so pissed. And I'm like, this is not the support I needed. Certainly not the support I wanted. Right. What do we do the next day? I wake up. I get the credit card out. I'm like, oh my god, it's seven dollars a month to host a podcast. Like, I almost let seven dollars a month derail the entire podcast. Like, that's, I guess, what I'm trying to say to people is like, people listening, we will come up with any excuse in the world. Two cups of coffee almost derailed me launching a podcast on July first. <laughs> and Kevin, I give him all the credit in the world from his annoying push. He got it done. He made me, literally made me almost physically launch on July 1st. And when the show went live on July 1st, I, I had a smile from ear to ear. 
if I listen to episode one back now, mm-hmm. it's not really as crisp as episode uh, you know forty is. But right. man, you talk about what the journey's been like in a year to talk to the people I've been able to talk to. I mean, he laughs at me. He says, "You know, you've had Dan Pink, uh, Seth Godin, uh, you know, Carol Jago. You've had you've had these Phil Hellmuth. You've had these people on your podcast, and you weren't going to launch it." Mm-hmm. You weren't going to launch it because you wanted it to be perfect. And when he says that, there's no response. Like, and I, and I've had this, you know, on, on my Twitter page for a long time. You have absolutely no idea what you're capable of accomplishing in 365 days. You just have to start. Mm-hmm. And I started and where this journey's take, I'm not talking to you right now if I didn't launch that on July 1st, you know, and it's in, and I don't take things like that lightly. To share a conversation and airtime on your podcast that you're just out there crushing it and you're inviting me on. I mean, this is something to, without July 1st, without Kevin, I'm, I'm not doing this. Somebody listening right now has a July 1st deadline in mind and they're going to come up with an excuse not to launch. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm here to say it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It does not have to be perfect. Yeah. So you bring up an interesting point on yours in that. Um, so actually take that back. Your, I have a question about how you approach these big name guests of yours, uh, was one of the, so secretly why I really started this podcast apart from wanting to help artists, uh, learn about others who are talking about entrepreneurship and, and help them connect the dots was I needed an excuse to talk to people and uh, having a podcast or like writing a book is the perfect excuse to reach out to somebody with a reason. When you reach out to big guests, um, and maybe it's you already have a connection or, or, or know them, but let's say, for example, that you're starting from like from nothing. You're just you you have a guest that's a bigger name, and you're like, I want them on the podcast. How do you approach getting them onto your podcast, and what what's the process like for you? Sure. Now, the first thing to underline there, though, is what you said. You're exactly right. You need an excuse to talk to people. Mm-hmm. You're good at it. And if you do a podcast, you'll get better. You'll help listeners. But selfishly, you're saying, I just really want to talk to X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. For for another day off air, we could share the story about I did that exact model as a food writer once upon a time. I said, I want to go to the best restaurants in New York. So I need to be a food writer. So I became a food writer. And that's a, it's a hell of a story, but the, it's yeah. the exact same model. And, and let's use that model for a second. You need one clip to get started, right? Mm-hmm. Without right. a podcast, you don't have anything. So now you have a conversation with whomever, and maybe it is a chef, or maybe it is a teacher, or maybe it is a writer. Writers are a great place to start because they're looking for publicity for their book. They, they need readers. So, you know, you have to start with something. Now, not, I don't think pod, I think on one of my episodes we talked about um, uh, Dory Clark episode 38. She talked about it doesn't have to be a podcast. It can be a blog. It mm-hmm. can be a vlog. If you if you look good on camera, or even if you don't, if you feel comfortable on camera, then it can be a YouTube channel. There's a million different vehicles now. For me, it was always a podcast. But uh, for anyone who's listening, trying to start, that is that's the key. So now approaching them to think that you're going to get a Seth Godin or a Chris Voss right out of the gate is naive. And in, in preparing for our talk, um, I went back to try to just just jog my own memory mm-hmm. uh, of when I began understanding how hard it was to get a guest. The very first time I emailed Seth Godin 
was October 14th, 2011. <laughs> so, oh, wow. uh, he was on episode 26 of my podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wait, wait, which was what year? Uh, this year. This year. Okay. So yeah, 2018. So, 2000, so 2011, yeah, you reached out to him. He eventually came on in 2018. Yeah. Now, I don't want to over dramatize the, the, the thing and say to you that we've been, I haven't been badgering him for seven years. Sure. But what I think the lesson is, is the relationship started seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I reached out to him to ask him a question about something that could help someone in my classroom. He generously responded. Um, now, at this point of his career, he gets, I don't know, 300 emails a day. So it's it's more difficult, of course. But how can you reach out to someone, ask them a question? Don't ask them for something huge right away. You start a relationship. Um, the other thing that's like kind of a, because your listeners are pretty advanced, they might know that move already. The next level move for your listeners is you want to add value to their life. So when you want to do that, though, what I find hurts is when you say, how can I help you? You would think that's the best thing impossible to do, right? Let me email Dan Pink and say, how can I help you? Dan Pink doesn't want homework. <laughs> right. Dan Pink doesn't want to come up with uh, a homework assignment for Yuri Cataldo and his listeners because you out of the blue are now a stranger who needs something. Mm-hmm. But what Dan Pink might want or the Dan Pinks of the world um, is a suggestion that actually helps him. Right. So if you're looking for someone to be on your show eventually, that's a quote unquote big name. And I must say at this point, I have just as much of a thrill talking to quote unquote not big names yet. Um, that I do big names. It's just that big names are part of the deal yeah. and they feed your cur- curiosity and your marketing. But if you're looking for someone and you're a true fan of their work and you give them some feedback, you know, no one turns down unsolicited feedback, especially if you circle back and give them appreciation and some coaching. Mm-hmm. You're not grading them, right? And then eventually that relationship is there. And then it, you'll get a feel for how they respond. But I don't think you have to go all in cold on the first ask. And there's another reality we have to acknowledge is when you get a quote unquote big name, someone that started a journey just like you or me, by the way, mm-hmm. right? Once upon a time, they remember those days. It does turn the needle right now. When I ask another guest to be on my show, they're going to research and see who I've had on the show. And when they see Todd Henry and Dan Pink and, and Brian Kite and, and they say, Oh, well, okay, maybe this is a show that I want to be associated with. That's just the kind of ugly part of the business. Right. But when you start, start with someone you're genuinely prepared for, wow them, and then give some feedback to a bigger name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's great advice. With your own show, so the one you're doing now, why? So what made you want to focus on one percent, and why is one percent important to you? I just love the attainability of it, right? It's it's this idea that my whole life I've always said, like, you know, this this uh, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream will change your life. Mm-hmm. This movie, The Shawshank Redemption, is going to change your life. And I kept saying it to the point where my friends would call me out and they're like, really? Like, you're a different person now after that ice cream? <laughs> and uh, I I could argue that I, that I am, but I don't want to get that esoteric. So what I ended up right. saying was, no, you're right, right? I'm not... You don't look in the mirror and don't recognize yourself. But what really does happen is if you stack those up, right? Let's use those as metaphors. Mm-hmm. If you have enough good tacos and you find out the better taco the next time and you start with black coffee, but now you know what cold brew is and you go down this journey and then you start with the Shawshank Redemption, but now you realize another 
you collect these small wins that start to populate your life. And only by getting like it's it's not out of the question to say that seeing a great movie made you one percent better. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, does it change your life? Yes, but maybe at a molecular level. If you can stack those up day by day, one at a time, one at a time, go to bed a little better, a little smarter, a little more curious than you were the day before. Not only is it attainable, but it's attractive. So I fell in love with the idea. I did some reading into it. I've read some some works from some mentors. And all of a sudden, by those small changes, mm-hmm. marginal gains every day, you look back after 365 and you're a new you're a new person and you truly are. Instead of the, the metaphor of the crash diet, let me lose 20 pounds by bathing suit season. Nonsense, right? It's not going to last. It's going to look good for a little bit, but it's going to be, it's going to be fading and you're going to, you're going to, you're going to regress. But if you make small changes, if you cut out the cream and sugar in your coffee, if you walk every day after dinner, the things that are not at all sexy at all, Yuri, right? It's not sexy to be like, I went for a walk today. Like that doesn't, that doesn't immediately get your attention. But you go for a walk 300 days, you know, out of 365. Now all of a sudden, your identity has shifted. Now you're a person who takes a walk every day. Mm-hmm. You journal every day. Now you're a person who journals. So when you're on a show like this, and they say, well, "What's one of your practices?" Well, actually, I just use, I do the five minute journal every day, or I listen okay. to a I listen to a podcast every day, or yeah. whatever your routine is. Your identity shifts, and it's not drastic. And then one day, a friend you haven't seen in a while is like. Why do you have that glow about you? Or what, man, you'd really be on, you're creative recently. Mm -hmm. And it's because of the power of the 1% better every single day. Mm -hmm. So do you use a five minute journal? I actually do, but I'm going to be honest. It's inconsistent. It's, it's amazing, right? And it's, it's been a life, kind of like a life discovery where everybody you and I talk to says you need to journal every day. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't, right? I, I have not made that into, a regular practice. What I will say about that particular journal, you know, my friend Kevin, as I mentioned earlier, he loves this. He has this expression. He says it only takes five minutes to change someone's life. Mm-hmm. And uh, he really explains it really well. And, and with the five minute journal, that's very attractive, right? 300 seconds. Talk about gratitude. Talk about one thing you want to achieve. So it doesn't have to be. I'm not getting paid by the five minute journal, but it's just it's the idea that there needs to be some intentional practices. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, definitely. And I, uh, so I, I, I have there the five minute journal and I also, at one point it was, their app was free to download. So, um, every day my phone reminds me that I need to five minute journal on my phone, which is even easier. And, um, you'd be surprised at how many days I don't actually do it where I look at it and go, yeah, I should totally journal. But let me think about it for a second. No, I'm just going to ignore it and keep moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. My response would be, you and I don't have to journal, but we have to have some capture method, right? We have mm-hmm. to have some way. And I don't think people realize doing a podcast, you check so many boxes, right? You're learning. You're teaching. You're you're getting that catharsis. There's so many great filling things from the podcast. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So... So I work in tech, and there are um, the, some very, let's say, over-the-top kind of personalities, and the term 10x has been like the go-to thing for the last maybe like four or five years. Everyone's like, yeah, I'm going to 10x my business and 10x my life, and everything is 10x and moonshots. Um, how do you approach 
situations like that where there's like one demographic of, of people who are always like, yes, you need to get, again, infinitely better instantly um, versus your approach, which is more of like gradual increments of like one step leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. The way I'll answer that is by saying I'd love to 10x, you know, <laughs> I want to I would, I want to 10x everything, but I just haven't found it sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so the way I'm approaching it and then the way that my guests have kind of uh, validated this just from their conversations is is just a more sustainable approach. Because I've been that guy. I've been the guy that goes on the fill in your favorite beach diet, you know, and in one of my talks, I talk about the absurdity of these diets in the sense that we've been on Earth for how long as humans and we don't know what the hell to eat. Like we still don't know what to eat. Like, is it protein? Is it animal fed? Is it grass fed? It's an amazing thing. So what I've been doing in trying to just get information is do something that works for me, meaning there's so many programs. They'll work. I can do 10 different weightlifting programs that will work, but there's a missing ingredient, and that's consistency. Mm-hmm. So I don't find that I can 10x something on a consistent basis. What I find is it would be 1% today, 1% today. Ooh, there's a 5% gain. But I'm not quantifying that either. I don't want to make it funny. Sure. It's just a matter of consistency. So what 10x people and believers won't tell you is you 10x is, is inherently the opposite of consistency, mm-hmm. right? It's a burst. It's 1%, 1%, 1%, 10x. And I'm all for that. I just don't find it sustainable. Mm-hmm. So in your own life then, do you have routines or certain like management structures set up to allow you to be more consistent? Yes, but, you know, the old yes, but, well, first of all, I'm on an educator schedule. So we're going September to the end of June. Mm -hmm. Now, doing that for the last almost two decades has put me into kind of a 30,000 foot routine. So now I know I have one life September to to, uh, June and I have another life June to September. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of and even June with students are basically gone now. There's a lot of professional work and development to be done and getting ready for next year. So my natural rhythm works that way, right? After two decades, I know now it's the recharge time already. So that's where we're finding ourselves talking. As far as a regular routine, I always used to be be nervous about this question because I don't have this wake up, go on the, the the step climber for an hour and a half while you watch CNBC and then drink only, you know, whatever coffee. Mine's a little sloppier, but what I find is my kids dropping them off at school and then listening to a podcast before I get to my classroom. Mm-hmm. I wake up at, at, at 5.50 a.m., drop my kids off at 6.45, and then from 6.46 till 8.03 when my first period starts – I listen to a podcast or a podcast in a quarter, depending on the timing. It's funny, right? It doesn't sound like fancy, but man, my first period students, they hate me at first because my brain's on fire at 8.03. I've listened to, you know, advanced your art and they have it. They're just rolling out of bed. Mm-hmm. So now it's like you're, you're filling me with inspiration or I'm listening to, to Brian Koppelman or I'm listening to someone that I love and they're just getting the sleep out of their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then eventually they know that's the routine. So the bottom line is that is a routine. It's just not anything that you can really publish somewhere and be like, wow, Joe's a genius. He's got this incredible routine I have to try. Yeah. But I would say that if you're someone listening who listens to music in the morning, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But if you flip to podcast morning decompress with music on the way home, you will see your life change. Like there's no, I believe that wholeheartedly. When I started listening to podcasts on my commute exclusively, my life changed. There's no doubt about it. So talk about 10xing a podcast and a half a day for a year. You won't be recognizable. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, so I do something well similar. I, I don't teach kids, but in the morning I have it's an hour from the moment I leave my house until I arrive at the office. So I often am listening to a podcast on the train, the commuter rail in, and then in the evenings I do listen to music just to kind of decompress. And, and that's what I've tried. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's hard. Podcast on the way home is hard. It is because I start. I sometimes fall asleep on the train because I'm tired, <laughs> and so yeah. I'm like, I my brain, like my, I can, I just start drifting, and then I'm like, wait, I've been listening to something for 20 minutes and I don't remember anything. Yeah, so yeah. it's harder to like concentrate and focus in the in the evenings for me too. With so with your own journey, um, you mentioned that you weren't really a reader in college, but became one shortly thereafter. What have been some of your favorite books? or books that have moved the needle the most for you? Mm. You know, it, it, they fall into a couple categories, but they're almost exclusively uh, nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And I think that books find you. It really is a weird thing to say, but, but well, let's put it this way. It really depends on when you find a book, right? So, sometimes the book will find you. Sometimes it'll be gifted to you when you really need it. But the reality is, you can't really duplicate it in nature because if you read a certain book at a certain time of your life, it makes all the difference. I was going through a hard time once and I read, someone gave me the four agreements, right? So this short book where it talks about just four agreements you make with yourself. One of them is don't take anything personally, which by the way is one of the hardest things to do in the world. How do you not take it personally? Joe, we hate your podcast. Oh, okay. I'm not going to take that personally, but you're putting your heart soul into it. But Unfortunately, too, not too many people have had that direct of feedback, but the reality <laughs> is um, that that book family. So The Four Agreements is one that jumps out. Mm-hmm. Um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, mm-hmm. I love it because there's certain sections in it, and I also love it. It jives with the, my way of thinking. I, I, Malcolm's on another level in my mind as a writer, but mm-hmm. he talks about seeing the hidden side. Anything that finds the hidden side of something it, it really appeals to me because I, I often find myself in a conversation thinking differently than the person I'm talking to. And, you know, it's it's delicate to kind of when they ask your opinion and you feel the other way, it's hard to kind of get that out to them. But Malcolm does that. So mm-hmm. Outliers, I love. Um, let's see what else that I, that I would think about very fondly. Oh, my goodness. I, I love that when you read so much. Right now I'm reading exclusively for the show. Um, like, okay. oh, but never split the difference by Chris Voss. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. Oh my goodness. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine someone reading that and being like, yeah, that wasn't for me. Um, just the idea that I use that on a daily basis. So from a standpoint of usefulness, um, I, I can't think of something more useful than, than that one. Mm-hmm. There's a three that come to mind right away. And I, you know, when we're off air, I'll have 10 more that I could think of. Oh, of course. That, that's how it always works. And <laughs> I like to put you on the spot purposely just to see what happens. Yeah. So. And actually, you know, I, now that you, I had a second, Seth Godin's Lynchpin. You know, he has a lot of great books, but Lynchpin has this idea that we're all artists and we're all geniuses, and it sounds very woo-woo until you realize how he puts it, and it's pretty strong. Mm-hmm. For you, what has been the best investment you've ever made? The best investment I've ever made? Mm-hmm. It could be time, um, you know, something, again, something you read or something was given to you, or it could be a financial thing, but 
just what is really you feel yeah. something you invested in that has again moved the needle the most in your life well dollar for dollar the very best investment in the world is a book i try to explain this to my students who don't like to read as we talked about mm-hmm. um <laughs> it's amazing our expectations for a book you, you go in and uh, you pay $19 for a book. You only get one idea that you'll remember for the rest of your life, and you're upset. Like, it's it's so ridiculous. <laughs> for $20, you have yeah. an idea that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And, uh, and you're like, ah, oh, the book was boring. It's amazing the rubric we have for a book to be good. Mm-hmm. It's got to, like, move you to tears. It's got to make you, like, go skydiving. It's amazing. So dollar for dollar, it's a book. Yeah. Um, I recently heard that that the person you marry or have as a life partner is uh is the best decision and the most important decision you'll ever make. Mm-hmm. So my wife my wife Dana, I can't call her an investment, that doesn't sound right, but the time <laughs> the time and then the, the other hokey one is uh is my just that any conversation that I've had with my kids who are who are eight and five, it's the returns on investment there are so huge. And then if I gotta give you practical, I swear if, if people don't listen to to multiple podcasts, I, I say at least every third podcast of mine these are free podcasts. Like mm-hmm. your podcast is free. Yeah. You're, you're interviewing people um, all over the world, and the information is being given to them free. So you talk about an investment. So those are my answers. Sure, which is great. You studied uh, well literature and communications in undergrad. Do you ever regret going to school to study literature? I think if you. If you, as a teacher, admit that you regret studying literature, there's like a an old school an old school teacher who like slaps you with a ruler, right? You can't yeah. you can't admit that. But the one thing I will say, in another life, I think I would have liked to study economics because mm-hmm. when I was going to school, I thought economics was the study of money, and we do supply and demand for six months and then call it a course. Mm-hmm. But as you read more and you you do something approachable like free economics or you do some Adam Smith stuff, you realize that it's really the study of incentives. Mm-hmm. So I, I often go back to, I think it was Bob Sutton who talked about this Stanford study where his graduate students had to figure out how to get more people on campus to use a bike helmet. And when he told me that was an economics project, I was like the emoji with the hard eyes. Like, I can't believe. <laughs> like, that is such a beautiful assignment. It, it, it hits me right in the brain where I want it to, right? It's like, mm-hmm. figure out how to motivate someone to do something that would be good for them, even though they don't want to. Mm-hmm. Like, so in another life, I would have studied econ, and then I still would have been having to, to, to talk and teach because those are things that, that help me learn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. I spend a lot of time uh, listening to the free economics guys and reading random economics books because I, I love the way good economists approach problems. Yeah. And there's because some the, – yeah, go ahead. I'm gonna say yeah, the ones who are really smart about it, like they, it's it's a different angle that I was like, wow, I never would have thought of that, and it's it's like part scientific rigor and then also part influence, and it's it's a beautiful when it comes together right. Yeah, it's no doubt. And you're like you get like Cialdini's influence mixed with the Freakonomics guys, and we could just we could just sit there and drink iced tea all day listening to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And it's really easy then to apply it into other circumstances and situations in your life. And it's yeah, it's a beautiful thing. What would you say has been the best advice you've ever received? Wow. You know, one thing I do tell you is that I take advice from everyone. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even to a fault at, at times in my life, right? You, you know, you get people in your life at, that really don't have business giving you advice. Um, but you take it and you consider it and you filter it. And then you start to trust people and you get a, kind of a, a network. But it's impossible for me to single it down, but I will because you asked a great question. Um, I'm going to say this, and I don't know who gave it to me. It's something mm-hmm. I picked up along the way. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything. And when you hear it, you're like, it, it's like a, it's like a roller coaster. You're like, no, I can't. What? Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. Let me think about this for a second. Mm-hmm. And what it's meant to me over the years is, if you choose and you walk in that direction, you simply don't know what you're capable of achieving. Mm-hmm. Now, you can't say, I want to be on TV, and I also want to have a best-selling book, and I also want to marry a supermodel, and I also want to be a bachelor. You can't do ever. I want to go to Vegas once a month. It's ridiculous. You can't do it all. But you can do one of them, and you can pick the one that's most important to you, mm-hmm. and, and you have your values line up with your, your habits, and all of a sudden, to say you're 1% better is an understatement because you know whoever told me that or wherever I read that, that's advice that 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 really moves the needle. You can have anything you want in life. You just can't have everything. Yeah. No, that's that's great. So, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to, well, listen and subscribe to your podcast and also to find your work and more about what you're working on, where can they do that? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Your time is valuable and your listeners' time is valuable. So it means the world to me. I don't take it lightly. My website is 1percentbetterproject.com. I stole the word project from Seth, and I just love kind of working on different types of projects. Mm-hmm. It's all all words, 1percentbetterproject.com. You can find the podcast everywhere. Podcasts are free. But I would love any of your listeners to listen to any of the podcasts and see if they like it. I am not a guy that believes in start a podcast one, listen all 43. No, pick and choose. I, I talk to writers, I talk to actors, I talk to economists. Pick one that, that strikes your fancy. Give it a listen. If it's not for you, no hard feelings. But it would mean the world uh, to me if someone listening listened to one podcast and sent me a quick note about what they liked about it. That would be that would be everything. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I will make sure that uh, the links to those are in the show notes so they can click right through. Yuri, it's been an honor, man. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Hour podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.